Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it do think we can, although there are times we wonder. And um, we, uh, the, the, the reason we know we can is because of uh, the Holy Spirit in us and what God wants to do in and through us. Um, and uh, our, uh, we're, we're going to have a great time tonight. Our, our guest tonight, um, we have had uh, a couple times on on the catch on Blog Talk Radio, he is actually one of our board members uh, for Catch Ministry, and um, he is also founder and president of Stutzman Public Affairs, a Sacramento-based firm specializing in campaigns, communications, and crisis management, and uh, also he is a respected pundit uh, of. Uh, of Republican affairs, and uh, I often see him quoted in the in the Times, and uh, at, as a matter of fact, uh, as recent as uh, last week, I believe. So um, he's uh, just a wonderful, articulate gentleman who can talk a lot about about politics and about Christianity and and uh, the most amazing uh, uh, way in which those have kind of come come together in, in, in good and bad ways. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're going to discuss tonight as we continue our talk about Christians in the marketplace, which is, of course, uh, where Rob is in his whole office and work is in the marketplace. So that's going to be the focus. I don't want to get too tied into politics because I really want to talk about um, the marketplace and how we – we live and function um, as Christians there. So please, everyone, welcome our guest, Rob Dutchman, to uh, Catch Radio. Well, thank you, John. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a great to have it. It's been a while, and um, it's uh, it's time. <laughs> this little bell goes off that, uh, <laughs> When I when I think about Blog Talk Radio, well, it's time to have Rob, and uh, I promise we wouldn't talk too much about politics. But boy, you know, uh, can you ever remember a time when the country was more divided than it is right now? Well, no, I mean not that I can remember. Obviously, you know, if we understand American history, there certainly uh, were times it was more divided because blood was. Blood was well, shed. Well, we did. Yeah, we, and, we did and, we've, and we've worked. <laughs> we have, we've had a war, and 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 we have had uh, <laughs> we've had difficult times before where ethnicity and and religion drove a lot of our politics, and there was um, you know bigotry that was manifest at times. 
but yeah, not, not you know, not in my lifetime, nor dare I say probably yours, John, <laughs> that we can remember mm-hmm, right. anything feeling as divisive and uh, you know, divisive is kind of the word that's often used. I also like to say uh, uncivil uh, as the nature of our our politics yeah. today, and it's it's not exclusive to the United States. I mean, this is pretty much the case of how politics are being defined throughout the Western world right now. Mm. Do you do you have do you have any reason for that? Any ideas that why this has been such a breakdown of of uh, kindness and civility and respect for the other side? Well, kind of there's. Yeah, I think there's 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 nationalism that runs deep, and when so that's you know things that come out of biases and prejudices. Uh, there's this, there's a tribalism. Uh, all these things come out of a place of insecurity, right, and fear. Mm. And again, I go back to what we're seeing even throughout the Western world. Um, and, and there's you know the immigration issues of Europe are frankly different than ours. Uh, with uh, the the refugees that have come up through the Middle East and how. You know, there really is a culture clash of uh, of religion with Islam growing in Europe, and all the you know all this stew that just drives fear and insecurity. And so, out of that, you mm-hmm. get people that are driven in their politics to be against something uh, before they're for something, and they mm-hmm. want security. And so, security becomes the premium, and it's uh, we see this in the Old Testament, right? The Jews wanted a king, and God's like, "All right, I'll give you a king. See how that goes for you." Uh, and it was a history of mixed bags, right? Once you have a king, and so there's a little bit, I think, in American politics right now, a lot of people that, out of that place of of uh, of insecurity and fear and anger about what they're uh, opposed to. Are willing to uh, to essentially accept uh, the strong man, the king, in such times because they think it provides them security. Hmm. Hmm. Well, which uh, might explain uh, some of uh, Trump's success right now. Would you say? Just because he's that kind some, of some individual. Of it. I mean. Yeah, he's yeah, his, so he's the strong man. I mean, often what I hear from my friends who sure are is. cult cult like in their in their defense of of Trump is that well, no one else would have beat Hillary because no one else was bad, you know tough enough um, that uh-huh. type of thing. And they love all the brash talk, calling you know calling leaders of other nations by name. Um, picking all these fights over trade, and you know, kind of regardless of whatever the policy of all that might be, but just truly the the brashness of it, bashing the media, right? Because you know, you know, conservative people have long time tolerated, you know, what's probably very real you know, bias, general bias, in, in mainstream media, and now there's a guy that's fighting back against that. So whether that's starting to uh, encroach upon the norms of American democracy and our constitutional process, they're not really, people aren't really focused on because they finally got the, the strong man that they feel is striking blows on, on their behalf. Mm. The other part of it, though, the success is, you know, the, these, are, these are fairly successful economic times. And 
that's usually what defines politics. Some people think Nixon wouldn't have yeah. been run out of the White House and Watergate if the economy had been stronger. Um, Clinton, many believe, survives impeachment because the economy was strong. So, you know, that that still is another factor is that things are – there's certainly issues hmm. with wage growth, et cetera, but it, things are actually generally pretty good economically in, in America. Hmm. Wow. So um... – you know, there's a very interesting history we've had in the last, say, 30 to 40 years where where Christians have gotten really heavily involved in politics to where, you know, the to where the media will even want to be reporting what evangelical Christians uh, think and uh, as a block. And as a voting block, and and so that has created a, a place where you know we really went through a period of time there where we thought we could wield some weight uh, in the world on the political scene, and wow, we're we you know we mean something now, and uh, I don't know, I I think that may be waning a little bit now. I'm not sure. But uh, I kind of assess, if you could assess for us where we are kind of right now in terms of <clears throat> Christians in politics. I mean, are we, we still, we're still very much involved, and, and the political scene really does, does yield and want to follow what evangelical Christians think and believe, uh, it, it seems like. And uh, a lot of people feel like uh, that Trump's in the White House as a result of of Christians. Um, But where I know that that doesn't answer for every Christian, I'm sure. And uh, so where do you think, I know this is a difficult question, but where we are right now as far as the political landscape and, and Christianity as a whole, what would you say? Well, I would say Christianity as a whole, we're a little bit all over the map. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, certainly conservative Christians, and you know, which we've taken to calling evangelicals as a political category, uh, to, de- to define them, are a huge part of the, the Trump base, and they're very focused on voting uh, on, on issues. And uh, the, so the Supreme Court, you know, was a big issue for them. And they see assaults, uh, you know, on, on quote-unquote religious liberties. And, of course, abortion, for instance, has been an issue, obviously, since the 70s when right. Roe came down. So those are all organizing issues for conservative Christians. Um, obviously, we know the history really in the 80s of Falwell right. uh, organizing this uh, and raising money out mm-hmm. of it, uh, the moral majority, et cetera, and People like Jim Dobson, folks in the family, became very politically involved. So anyway, there, there's now decades of conditioning of uh, of this. Of really, uh, I heard uh, one Presbyterian lecturer recently reflect upon it. For the for conservative Christians, politics becomes an organizing principle um, as uh, of hmm. faith. Um, but I think you have other mainstream. Hmm. Um, uh, traditions that uh, are sitting out there in a bit more in the middle and are not comfortable with what they're seeing out of the more conservative uh, traditions and the way they organize around politics. And then, frankly, uh-huh. we have a lot of organizing on the uh, in in the left wing of Christendom 
Um, the volume isn't as big as the right, but the, organ, the organizing and the standing athwart uh, of Trump is, is, is very well organized and, and vocal. So I think we have a whole wide spectrum out there within Christianity, just like we do uh, across the board and mm-hmm. with the, the, lar- the, larger, the larger electorate. Um, but I do think there's a lot of issues being raised um, within churches themselves and ministers trying to figure out how to grapple with this paradox of someone who behaves in a manner that is antithetical to everything about the mm-hmm. gospel and doesn't really mm-hmm. truly seem to um, express any type of personal faith in, in spite of <laughs> some of the the, yeah. the the people that say that that's the case. There's no evidence of it. Um, only God knows, but mm-hmm. there's no evidence that's manifesting itself in Mr. Trump's life. Um, it, you know, and then and then being you know being grateful about the you know Supreme Court appointees and how do you kind of deal with that that type of paradox? And uh, my hope and prayer is that it forces some really good, hard, deep um, consideration, discussion, and ultimately teaching. Um, within the church, especially more conservative denominations that, you know, God's sovereign and do we really need this man-made political system to ensure that God's, you know, kingdom on earth comes to comes to be? Hmm. Do you think that um, as a whole uh, Christians have put too much faith in politics in the last 30 years? Yes, yes, incredibly, and I and I say that as as uh, someone who has been in politics my whole life and was probably initially somewhat drawn to it um, because of the values mm-hmm. and beliefs of my faith. Um, yeah, you know Chuck Colson, you know, of course the uh, former White House counsel for Nixon who famously went to jail and converted in in jail to to a Christian and became a you know wonderful. Um, minister to us for decades, right, with his lecturing and writing. He wrote a book once called yeah. Kingdoms in Conflict. And uh, you know, I think the title probably sits, you know, speaks for itself. Uh, um, mm-hmm. you, know, politi- you know, our political system in the United States, I think, is to be celebrated. It's the, the Constitution stands out as the, the best governing document ever created by man, but it is still a document of man in a fallen world <laughs> until we get a right. better, you know, future <laughs> when Christ returns. So, you know, and it, and it and it is still designed to serve human, uh, and it's, well, incite human power, right, and authority. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of a lot mm-hmm. of what Colson goes into. And so, for us to, as Christians, have too much faith in that, and confidence in that is, is uh, you know, I think misplaced. And we see this in Scripture. Um, the Israelites wanted Jesus mm-hmm. to be a political savior, right? And it turned out that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. They got mad yeah. and threw him overboard. So, you know, the history of man is to want these immediate fixes uh, to their political situations and somehow to make their lives better. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I as Christians, we just have always struggled to get past that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been talking a lot about um, uh, marketplace Christianity, uh, being Christians in the world, in, in, in the marketplace. Um, how is that... Uh, how how do we do that when the world seems to have so many conflicting ideas of who a Christian is these days? Um, 
uh, how can we help? How can we help people? I think get a get a better understanding of of what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Is that something that that we can do as Christians in the marketplace? And and how do you think we do that? Well, uh, yeah, I guess I, I have to start taking sides here. I guess in the political climate for me to give my answer. Um, I, I think we need to speak out for what the the gospel is, and and uh, you know you have someone in the White House whose behavior is consistently antithetical to that, and I think there is tremendous opportunity to be salt and light and to be able to reflect upon those in our own personal spheres about um, how how you know wrong this is and to to speak out uh, against it. Now, I won't get into how that translates into how you may vote or not. I think that's very personal and can become more more nuanced. But I'm talking about specific behaviors, acts, words, um, the the venality, the pettiness, all these things that we really know are just come from an evil place. Uh, Corruption. Um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity to be speaking about those, and I think many many uh, Christians Christians are. I think there's a way to do that in a way where it's not a political discussion. It's a it's a discussion about mm-hmm. my faith informs me to not be okay with mm-hmm. that and not to accept that, and uh, and that I am grieved by that. And I think it's just really as simple as that. Um, don't have to don't have to bash the president. Don't have to declare how you're going to vote. But uh, you know you can certainly start speaking to um, critiquing specific acts and words um, and letting people around you know that you you, you hope and pray for for uh, for something better than that. Right, right. And then there's you know there's there's the the biblical precedent for. Uh, reaching out to strangers, you know, I mean, uh, that was always important to the nation of Israel and God always made provision for the foreigners and the strangers. And then throughout even the New Testament, we continue to see uh, uh, the the hospitality and hospitality is, is, is uh, usually um, extended to to those who are outside our our little group, and um, that certainly is running against uh, a lot of the uh, you know the general um, way of uh, of the marketplace right now. And uh, yeah, it, you know, you want to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting you bring you bring that up because it's you know on, on many occasions in the past couple of years I have. Um, Heard very good teaching around and have just sat with um, the parable of the of the Good Samaritan, something that if you grow up in the mm-hmm. church you become familiar with as a child. Um, but there is, you know, there's so, there's so much nuance to that, particularly to understand all the cultural context and the historical context and what it really meant that at the time at that day and at that moment with who Jesus was reciting that to. And I just. Yeah, I guess what I, would say, I say to a lot of my, I've, I've said this to some of my Christian friends, is uh, go sit with that parable um, mm. and read it and pray upon it and, and try to then reconcile that um, with not being grieved by, uh, 
by the tenor of what you you see right now in our in our country related to to politics. And you and and that can be applied beyond the the president. We shouldn't solely pick on him, right? There's there's this incivility right. that that takes place across the spectrum. But it's just, it, you know it that whole that whole point of sacrifice, welcoming, being completely illogical, um, seeing people um, as God's children, regardless of of, uh, of borders and boundaries, and not that it's it's fine to have borders and it's fine to have laws that govern those borders. But how are we really seeing people and talking about them and treating them and thinking of them? Are we thinking of them as people? Um, it's just there's just so much right there in that one parable that can, I think can be so instructive to, to Christians and how they want to go engage in the marketplace right now. Um, this whole idea of civility, uh, I, I think, is hugely important um, because you know we are called to be like Christ, and uh, you know you. I, I just keep going back to the the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where you know, blessed are the the meek, the who will inherit the earth, the humble, the peacemakers. Um, Jesus is, uh, you know, and Paul talks about the kindness of God that leads to repentance and grace and generosity, and uh, boy, you know, all of that is so antithetical to the way you get ahead in the world now, you know? So you know, what does that mean for us as Christians in the marketplace? If we're going to seek to truly be followers of Christ, can we be this way? Can, can we manifest civility in, in, in an environment that everybody else is, is doing it a, a different way? Well, I think it's. I think we we can in our own lives, and then we need to insist that uh, civic conversation and leaders return to that civility. I think that's our hmm. real opportunity, and that may mean doing so sternly. Um, and uh, and and there's a place there's a place for 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 tough discourse and 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 argument uh, and comparing of ideas, but of course it can be done so civilly. Um, you know John McCain, our line of the Senate, who we just lost this last week, was a great example mm-hmm. of that. He fought vigorously with members of both parties, and yet uh, mm-hmm. the, the nation mourns um, a very special uh, type of person in the public square that we know we've lost, right? But that's that's mm-hmm. really what uh, defined him was was to be to be passionate, um, to be in the public square, fighting for what he believed in, but never ever. Um, were their relationships uh, de- destroyed, and there was always a high regard um, for people as individuals, mm-hmm. regardless of their caste or where they were uh, in society. I, and in fact, it's really the great American ideal of how I think it, it reflects. The great mm-hmm. American ideal reflects the gospel because it's so rooted in justice and, and individual freedom, um, uh, and 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 to to want to to want to export that that freedom and justice throughout throughout the world. Um, mm-hmm. McCain's uh, closest aide, a gentleman named Mark Salter, wrote a wonderful piece in the Washington Post. I would encourage listeners to go look it up. Mark Salter wrote uh, essentially his eulogy to his boss, the man that he loved so much, hmm. but, and ended it with talking about 
dissidents in a faraway land that had um, that McCain had acknowledged at some point, and that they had remarked to people um, that they had a friend in America, and uh, John McCain, as they fought for their own freedom mm. and liberty and, and justice in their far-off land that we never give a thought to. And you know, there was something mm. very Christ-like in that whole that whole notion um, when when I when Mark wrote oh. that, and it's like that. It, that's what we should be. That's how we should act locally, individually, in the in the in the square, as as Christians. But again, I go back to mm-hmm. demanding that, also from our our civic leaders and from those we elect, and frankly from those in our pulpits as well. Wow, that's great. That's great. Uh, Mark Salter, uh, Washington Post. Uh, let's look that up. Um, do you remember? You don't remember the title, do you? Don't remember the title, but it was if you if you Googled uh, we'll or searched uh, Mark Salter and Washington Post, you'd find it. Yeah. Is it is it just S A L T E R? As far as you know. Yes. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, thank you for that. Um, you're in you're in Sacramento area. Do you do you get to see much of of those who who are actually in in office? Or do you see them function at all? And, what I'm what I'm asking is that um, I, I can remember um, in the past seeing glimpses of of certain politicians who were just known as 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 being loved by both sides. You know, they just have a way uh, about about that. They can talk to both sides and they treat people uh, well. Um, you can debate, you can discuss, and, and you know a lot of these are getting older. And like like you say, John John McCain is probably a good example. Um, are, are there any younger examples of of people like that? And do you see any evidence of of in spite of all this other stuff that's going around, when you really get down to the real world, you know, are are, are there congressmen and, and women who actually can get along? Well, there there are. I mean, I've been around elected officials now for over thirty years. So I've seen them, a lot of them up close. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, most of them. You know, some of them are disappointing. Uh, most of them are are uh, neither inspiring nor disappointing. And then, the, sure, there are some that stand out, and it's it it doesn't. You know, it's both sides of the aisle. Is you know the type of Hmm. The type of public servant that you that you describe, and and I would say though that I am uh, I'm encouraged by actually that I I see that in younger younger uh, legislators hmm. that that come up here. Right. Um, I don't you know this whole <clears throat> kind of the the war horse notion of, of politics is uh, is really more mm-hmm. manifest in uh, I think in a, a bit of an older generation. Uh, I'm encouraged yeah. by what I would see generally, generationally, by younger legislators. And in Sacramento, I mean, we have a lot of legislators here in their, you know, in their 30s, right? It's kind of their first or second stop in their political careers. They try to move up a ladder. And um, no, there's plenty of people I still am, uh, am encouraged by. It, it would be, uh, it's it's wrong to paint with a broad but broad brush those that you know choose to serve. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, and mm-hmm. come up here and try to actually do some good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 
there are some people who have uh, a, a lot of hope for the millennials and for leaders coming out of that group that uh, seem well, to I have yeah. a, a better attitude. Yeah, the thing you about do? millennials for the things – yeah, the, the thing we can pick on about millennials, um, which we can all pick on <laughs> those things, right, and we all know what they are. They're all cliches, but there's as a father of yeah. a millennial, there's some truth to it. They, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but the, you know, what I like about millennials is they don't they, they're not bound by convention. Uh, they're willing to think differently and out of the box. They're not willing to just take the ideological boxes, for instance, that are passed along to them. So you see, you know, I see, you know, people of faith that are millennials that are Republican um, that want to become very much more concerned about human rights issues like access to water. Uh, for people around the world, mm-hmm. instead of, and that may be what they organize around instead of organizing around um, abortion the way their parents did. Um, so <clears throat> they're thinking for themselves, and obviously we're in a broken state of politics where we need new thinking and different thinking, and maybe that involves new parties and realignments and all types of things, but it will largely be in the hands of the millennials as a voting block and ultimately as those that will come of age to govern that I, I think... Um, if, there, if, if there is to be a, a f- breath of fresh air of change back to something healthier in our politics, I, mm-hmm. I think it's driven by mm-hmm. that generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have a new board member who is uh, in his 20s, and uh, um, he amazes me um, constantly with how hopeful he is. Uh, and uh, he really believes. I think this guy's going to be in politics uh, eventually, and he's just brilliant for one thing. And uh, but I, I, it amazes me that he really thinks, he really believes he can make a difference. And um, that's important. It's kind John, of John, Mc, yeah. John McCain believed that as an old man too. So and he did. You know, it's uh-huh. it's an important it's an important part of for the American system to work well. Is for there to be hope, optimism. Obviously, Obama used the hope word as as his own in his campaign. Um, But you know, Reagan Reagan called it the shining city on the hill. I mean, all the ideals um, of the Constitution and what we're supposed to be in America, so which is so unique, is what we should take hope in and continue to strive for. And it and that is not inconsistent with our faith, right? Because our faith gives us hope, and faith should give us security and comfort as well. And then out of that, instead of a place of fear, out of that place of confidence that we have in our faith, we can be hopeful people that can make a difference in the world. And so I would say that young man is on track. Now, I would also say if yeah. we put him in politics, it might ruin it, but that's a that's probably, <laughs> that's probably a bad joke, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens on that one. I, our time's almost up, but I, I got, I've got one more question because uh, in the midst of all this, we've been discussing a lot about worldview, and, and um, oh, gosh, we – I'm probably going to have to have you back and we'll spend a whole half an hour on worldview because that's a huge issue um, in all of our lives. But I would like you to, to just touch on, on your own, what, what informs your, your own worldview and is it, is it something that is, is, is in flux? Is it, is it always changing um, as you get to know, 
you know, the world better and, uh, and, you know, just talk about the importance of, of uh, having a worldview and whether, whether it's a good one or I, I, I've been struggling over, you know, the way we use that word. We talk sometimes about a right worldview or a wrong one. And and I think it's almost more like whether it's, whether it's true or false or whether it works in the real world, right. you know, those kinds right. of things. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a great a question. Bit, as a Christian, yeah. as a Christian, I, how do you think uh, that influences you? Well, growing up in a conservative evangelical context, right, I had lots of books and systems and teachings that, that, mm-hmm, that told mm-hmm. me what my worldview should be to be correct, you know, correct systematic worldview. Uh, you know, a lot of that was all very helpful, certainly well-intended. Um, and I wouldn't say my worldview changes as much as I, uh, you know, we're all on a, on a journey, and so other things continue to inform it. Uh, and so there's a, I, there's a, there's a couple things uh, that I, I point to. One is travel, you know, which is a privilege we have as, of affluency as Americans. Uh, but 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 travel changes all types of context, including the way people engage mm. faith in different traditions around the world. I mean, I can remember being in an Eastern Orthodox church in Skopje, Macedonia, uh, you know, three years after Civil War and watching a woman, you know, falling at the altar and, and praying in, in all these traditions that are completely foreign to me. But obviously, um, this woman very much was communing with God. Mm. So, you know, things like that. And there's there's multiples of those that, uh, you know, things I, I could point to. So, travel's been imperative to me. Not everyone has that opportunity, but what we do have the mm-hmm. opportunity is to look through the window of our online screens and try to access that type mm-hmm. of experience as much as possible if you want to find it. The other thing I think is this is to learn how to do the primacy of, of the gospel and how that really has to drive mm-hmm. your worldview and that that has to transcend political systems, economic systems, um, and all these other constructs, conventions that we have in our lives that are imposed upon us pretty early. Again, not in a, not bad things, but it, back to that primacy of the gospel. So, I uh, you can I could summarize about what we've already talked about, John. Just sit with the the parable mm-hmm. of, <laughs> of the good Samaritan, and well, that's my worldview. Um, I'm not, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I and I am as so many of those things Jesus puts in front of us. Right? It's what we are striving towards. Of course, what we are falling short of constantly. But my worldview is to strive for that, and then well, then how does that inform? Um, you know, policy and political issues when I come across them uh, in my life. And then uh, I have to negotiate those uh, as I go along. But, uh, the, 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 you know, the gospel and understanding who people are and that there's not different types of people, there's only God's children, um, is really, I think, what informs the worldview. Ah. Ah. Rob, it's always great. It's always refreshing and uh, great to have you on. And thanks for the discussion. And uh, when well, I'll give you a call when my little bell goes off the next time. <laughs> Let me know. I, I always enjoy and, these discussions, and I need to. Th- and thank you because the catch is refreshing and sustaining to so many mm-hmm. of us on a on a, a regular, daily, weekly uh, basis. So, you know, thank you for the ministerial role oh. you play in so many of our lives. Oh, thank you for that, too. Okay, well, bless you. We'll be 
we'll be praying for you. Uh, what, what's the next? What's on the horizon? What 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 are the next big projects that that are going to take up your time? Right. Well, now? elections, elections in November. I have yeah. some campaign projects, mm-hmm. so I won't bore yeah. everyone with them. But they're yeah, that'll keep me busy <laughs> through November, and then we'll we'll kind of yeah. see where American politics are at uh, after that. Yeah. So this is. In, in November, this will be for uh, uh, local governments, um, state governments. In, uh, yeah, are we so in many. Any... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, California has a governor's race, obviously, where we are, but about 37 states will be electing uh, governors um, this November. So, very, very busy at the state level and then all the statewide offices that mm-hmm. go with that. And of course, Every member of Congress is up every two years, and big question will be who's going to have the majority come November. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on all across the country uh, with this election. Wow, fantastic! Well, we'll be praying for you, and uh, uh, we will uh, we'll look to have you again sometime soon. Okay. I look forward to that, my friend. Okay. <laughs> okay. God bless. Thank you so much, Thanks, Rob. Thanks, John. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Well, there you go, folks. That was great. It's always great. We don't want that one. We want this one. <laughs> I think we need a new engineer. For this, for this radio show. Okay. Great having you on Watchdog Radio tonight. Great to have you listen. Whenever you listen, you're down the road listening. Join in. Find us at the catch catchjohnfisher.com and uh, find us there. Sign up to get the catch every day. And uh, because that's what we try to do. We try to shake up everyone's thinking and make us think about the world we live in on a daily basis and how our faith informs that. So uh, God bless you. Uh, Everyone, come back next week. We've got some great guests lining up. So we'll let you know about that in the future. Okay, fantastic. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.